0: So, this is week two of Advent. Advent celebrates the coming of Jesus at Christmas. It also uh, is an opportunity to celebrate the return of Jesus at the second coming. So, Advent's not solely focused on uh, Christmas, although that's what we're doing right now. We're in this series, we call it the Shadow of Bethlehem. And the reason we're calling it that is because of the events of the birth of Jesus that happened 2,000 plus years ago still have an influence on us today. They still are impacting not just our community, but our world. And this week, we're going to take a look at Joseph. Last week was Mary. This week, we're going to look at Joseph and the angel that came to him and the news that he got, which he wasn't really thrilled about, which we'll talk about as we get into that. But I want us, if you have your insert, I always like to have little blanks to fill in and help you track with my thought process anyway. It helps. I'm a a visual learner, so I always like to have visual things in front of me. I hope you do too. Anyway, the passage this morning, we're going to understand that the birth of Jesus ushers in God's presence with us, and it provides us peace. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of God's presence with us in this new way, and it brings us peace. So I want to start like we've been starting recently by reading the passage we're going to walk through today. So if you have a Bible like this, open it up to Matthew chapter 1, first gospel, first chapter, we're going to start at verse 18. And if you don't have a Bible like this, open up your phone, your tablet, whatever you have, to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. You can follow along or you can just look up at the screen behind me. Hopefully we got all the words right. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we open up these words today, we recognize they are the very words of truth that you have given for us to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And here in this second week of Advent, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus God, my prayer for this group of people gathered at this time is that they would hear you speak to them. And I just ask you to speak through me. Keep our hearts and minds open. May your Holy Spirit be alive. And may we be willing and quick to say yes to all that you're putting in our hearts and minds today. And may it not just be the story we've heard before and we doze in and out, but would you keep us focused on what you have for us to learn today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story of the birth of Jesus is unlike any story you have ever heard. Oh, but it didn't start out that way. It started out like a lot of stories you've heard before. I mean, it's your classic boy meets girl story. You know, the young carpenter going to finding a tree in his backyard and with his best knife carving, Joe loves Mary and puts a heart around it. Can you picture that? I mean, they were engaged, and and it was wonderful, and it was a magical time when, when a young couple could hardly wait to get married. Now, if you've been through this, maybe you had those feelings. You can relate to Joe and Mary a little bit in this and, and what it's like. I can still remember the thoughts I had. Miriam and I met in high school. She was my high school sweetheart. So we were dating during those years, and, and then we got engaged, and, and then we were married, and I had all the symptoms during that season of time as a young man in love. I was 20 years old when I got married. I had all those symptoms. You know, I, sometimes I'd walk around, I just had this silly grin on my face, and, You know, what's that about? And thoughts were focused on how great our married life was going to be. Thoughts about how I wouldn't have to drop her off at her home anymore after a date. And and thoughts about our living and our hopes and our dreams together and all that God may have in front of us. I mean, that's kind of where I was. And I just think maybe Joseph and Mary were that way. I mean, he may have been so distracted with his thoughts that maybe occasionally he'd be thinking about her and hit his thumb with a hammer. You know, as he's carving away these different things and being a carpenter. Because such were his hopes. And his dreams of the happiness to come. But before I get too carried away with this, let me just tell you a little bit. I want to pause and explain that the way the engagement worked and marriage worked at the time Joseph and Mary were alive. Because you see, in the ancient Jewish world, it's very different than our today, what we might call our modern approach. And it's an important part of the story. We need to know this so we can connect with the story closer. So the marriage customs of the Jewish culture at that time, usually included two basic stages of a relationship. The first stage could be called the pledge, as it is in this, in this passage we read today. Other translations use the word betrothal. That's the word we use today of engagement. And then the second, the wedding. Okay, so you got the engagement, you got the wedding. But the pledging stage was very different and very serious from how we look at it today. It involved a legally binding contract. How many of you had a legally binding contract when you got engaged? No, you just got down on your knees, right, guys? And you gave her a ring and said, please marry me, and hopefully you were hoping she would say yes. I hope you did get a yes. (laughs) You see, apparently the term husband and wife were used during this stage because of this legally binding contract that the only way they could break it was through divorce. Which is why in verse 19, if you look at verse 19, Matthew refers to Joseph not as an engaged guy, but as her husband. The woman would, though, continue to live with her parents until the couple uh, were gonna be married. They would rarely ever be alone. (laughs) This was to prevent the sexual relationship from between the two, because at that time, it could not be tolerated, because they would see that as adultery. Very serious, And in the ancient Jewish time, there was a very serious penalty for adultery. It wasn't pretty. And it could even include death. After about a year or so, stage two would take place. The wedding. The wedding ceremony would take place. And the groom is dressed in special wedding clothes. Remember, this is a Jewish culture. I'm not sure exactly what they look like. Along with some of his buddies, he'd make this formal procession over to the bride's home. And then they escorted the bride and maybe her bridesmaids back to the groom's home. And they would hang out there and, 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 and have the wedding ceremony. I mean, there was no such thing as a destination wedding in Jewish culture in the first century. The father of the bride would write up this marriage contract at the time of the marriage. And it would always include a dowry to be paid. And, and then after the marriage ceremony, they would party for a week. I mean, they didn't have a three-hour reception. They were there for a week. I always wonder where did they sleep. What did they? I mean, what is? I mean, I don't think how big a home Joseph may have had, but they partied there for a week, and then the couple would start out their life together as a married couple. Now you can see just by my explanation, there's a few factors, little different than how we do engagements and weddings today. This term pledge, it was so different, and it's important. Just keep this all in mind. As we go through the story of Joseph, because that's the period of time we're in, we're in the engagement period of time, we read in verse 18 that before Joseph and Mary came together that she was found to be pregnant. All of a sudden, without warning, Joe's love for Mary began to dissolve into this world of pain and this hurt because during this past year, he had thoughts, I'm gonna go build her a house. I'm gonna build her a big house because I'm a carpenter, I know how to do that. I'm gonna make sure we have plenty of bedrooms for all these little munchkins that are gonna run around and and we're gonna have that. It doesn't take much imagination to know how Joseph must have agonized a few days after he heard this news because he knew what was ahead. (laughs) I'm sure Mary was the one who told him Put yourself in his place. You're engaged, and your teenage, possibly sophomore-age fiancé comes to you and says, I have some bad news, and I have some good news. (laughs) Joseph says, well, give me the bad news first, okay? So she does. Joseph, she says, the bad news is, I'm pregnant. I know we're not married yet, but I'm going to have a baby, And maybe the emotion of all of that, she began to cry a little bit and and just realized what the impact of this could be on Joseph. I mean, what was going through his mind at this time? He was probably thinking, well, please, quick, tell me the good news because that bad news is really bad. Or or he might not even be able to think about the good news because the bad news was so bad, he just didn't, what do I do now? Of all the things that had been on his mind, that one never occurred to him. That scenario was not there. Pregnant? He had not been with her, and if not him, who? Who is this guy? Many began to think, how could this have happened? How could it have happened without me knowing, without her parents knowing? I mean, we had love together. We had trust together. We had dreams. We had plans. Why, why, why would just cry? So she tells him the good news. She says, you know, Joseph, the good news is I haven't been with anybody else. But you know, Joseph, an angel came to me and said, Mary, God likes you a lot. He calls you highly favored. He said, I'm going to have this miracle baby. And all the generations after this are going to call me blessed. I know it's never happened before, but but he said it's going to happen this time. Imagine how she maybe continued on with the conversation and how she would have protested to him about her innocence. Joseph, no, I haven't been with anybody else. And imagine Joseph's struggle to understand and to embrace that and to believe that. He's thinking, you know, Mary, it's one thing for you to betray our love. You know, it's a total another thing to treat me like a fool by telling me a story that's really close to blasphemy. Really, Mary? I can't believe it. Mary, I can't believe this. You seem so sincere, and I want to believe you, but but an angel? A, A virgin birth? Really, you came, became pregnant by the Holy Spirit? No way. No way. See, what Mary was saying was just beyond his way of believing. And then we read how Joseph would handle this. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Let's pause right there for a minute. I want to give you impact about this faithfulness to the law because there's a rich history behind this idea of being faithful to the law. Joseph was known for his uncompromising obedience to the Torah, the law of Moses, the Old Old Testament law of Moses. I mean, Joseph didn't eat any unclean food. He didn't mix with the wrong kinds of people. He didn't open up the carpentry shop on the Sabbath. He was faithful to his identity to the Torah. And everybody in that small town in Nazareth, I mean, knew about this man. Nobody invited Joseph over to have ham sandwiches with him. (laughs) Some of you got that. (laughs) He was what people wanted to be. But now he's a righteous man with a problem. The girl he has promised to marry is going to have a baby. And whoever the father is, Joseph knows it's not me. So we have a righteous man and a pregnant fiance in a small town where everybody knows everybody's business. I can just picture him going into a Chick-fil-A one day to get some food. As he walks into this Chick-fil-A, there's two guys in line and they're standing. He knows these guys, but they're already kind of whispering and they're looking at him, kind of, I don't want, to hear, I don't want him to hear what I'm saying kind of thing. <laughs> and they're probably saying, man, that Joseph, what a schmuck. How stupid can he be? I mean, what was he thinking getting Mary pregnant? Man, is he in a mess now? Then to think I wanted to follow God like he followed God. Now, because we live on the other side of this event, and the other side of the story of Christmas, we want to rush to the end and we go, well, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. But if you do that, you're going to miss the point of what Joseph is learning and what we can learn from him. Because there's some amazing stuff going on about Christmas besides how Jesus got here. You see, God is already beginning to redefine what it means to be righteous. What true righteousness is. More on that a little later, but I'll come back to that just to tickle your ears for a minute. But put yourself in Joseph's place. Your fiancé is pregnant. Your whole reputation and your identity revolve around one thing. The Torah. Your commitment to the law. And what the Torah says, you do. That's who you are. The Torah was clear about situations like this, by the way. He could not follow through and marry her because she has committed adultery. Divorce for adultery in ancient Jewish times in some groups was not even optional. It was mandatory. Yet look at Joseph's heart for his teenage bride-to-be, Mary, when it comes next. And yet he, Joseph, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I'm sure he wanted to believe Mary, (laughs) but he can't marry her now. And and yet he wanted to spare her as much pain as possible. So Joseph decides to divorce her on a QT. Let's keep this quiet. That way he can maintain his status as a righteous man, faithful to the law. And I think you would agree with me that Joseph's reaction was just about as normal as it could be for what he knew. According to his range of experiences, there's only one way a woman gets pregnant, and he knew he could not be the father. So, of course, he's angry, and he's feeling hurt and betrayed. Today, in our second week of Advent, we remind ourselves the truth that Jesus is our source of peace. He is our peace. And yet, you would probably agree with me that this is anything but a peaceful situation, especially for Joseph. Joseph. And maybe this morning you might identify with Joseph. I mean, maybe you work hard at trying to be a good person. Do the right thing. Obey all the laws. except speed limits. <laughs> Mind your own business. Try and do everything you think is right. Or at least you think of yourself as a good, I'm a good person. And then someone you trusted. Someone you believed in. Someone you shared private, personal thoughts with. Someone you were maybe even engaged to or maybe you've been married to betrays you in some way. What do you do next? I mean, how do you handle that situation? How do, you, how do you find peace in the midst of betrayal? And so as we consider Jesus as the Prince of Peace, we've got to ask ourselves some questions today. Like, does, does peace depend on having peaceful circumstances? Does peace mean that I need to go find a creek somewhere that's bubbling down gently over rocks and sit on it for a while in the sun and let the sun beat on my back and say, ah, this is where I find peace? Does peace mean there's no conflict in my life? (laughs) Let's look at what happens next to Joseph. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let me stop there. So with these thoughts of betrayal, total loss of all his hopes and dreams, after he's given a lot of thought to this, he's been considering this about what to do, he's probably emotionally worn out. You know when you face these things, how it wears you out, right? It wore him out and he tries to get some sleep. So during the night as he sleeps, probably restlessly, an angel comes to him in, in, in a dream. And I got to thinking, why did God make Joseph wait until after he had to think and struggle with all this stuff? I mean, why couldn't the angel come to him ahead of time and explain everything to him and remove all this anxiety and all the stuff he's feeling? Why, why not do that? I think one reason is that anxiety removal was not God's number one goal for Joseph. Most of the time, it's not God's number one goal for you and me either. Because you see, in, in, in getting his world turned upside down, in having to struggle between what he thought a righteous man ought to do, in longing to show compassion to this young girl, Joseph was being prepared by God to come to a new understanding of what righteousness is. You see, God allowed Joseph to live with uncertainty so that he'd have the opportunity to come to a new season of spiritual understanding, of spiritual growth. Is that what's going on in your life right now? (laughs) I mean, maybe you're confused about something. Uh, Maybe you're lacking peace. Maybe you have feelings of anxiety. Things are just not going well. They're not going the way I'd hoped they were going to go. You're more than likely about to experience a new season of spiritual understanding and growth. A time where we have to wait on God and trust him is going to do something in your life that you don't even know about yet. Back to the story. So this angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel's words in this dream Provide guidance, all the guidance Joseph needed. The angel tells Joseph, do not be afraid. But it's not about him being afraid of the angel. I mean, he's sleeping, after all, and he didn't wake up. But it's not about him being afraid of the, of the angels. It's about him being afraid of offending God and violating the law. <laughs> but I think it's also about this. Joseph is afraid of losing his reputation. He would be afraid of everybody thinking certain things about him. Joseph knew his doubts when Mary told him the story. There's no way people in the town were going to believe that an angel came to a poor couple in an obscure town and caused the conception of a child in the body of a virgin. (laughs) I mean, he's not going to be invited to people's homes, maybe. Maybe lose some business deals over this. Maybe never be admired again as a respecter of the Torah. I mean, if he committed himself to this baby as the one who would be known as Jesus, he would do so at some enormous sacrifice because who would believe this staggering story of the angel's words here where he says because of what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, the baby, it's not from Joseph or any other man, but from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived in a supernatural Way, And we can never fully understand how Jesus is fully human and how Jesus is fully God, but this passage tells us at least the means by which this was accomplished. He was born of Mary without a human father. This is what we call the virgin birth. Now, I once had a friend tell me that he believed he could be a Christian without believing in the virgin birth. And even after we spent time together, he, we talked about this, he didn't really commit to me that he was changing his mind. So I'm not sure even he, he left and moved on. So I don't know where he's at today. But maybe some of you are sitting here today and you go, i been thinking it's not really important for Christians to believe in the virgin birth. Maybe that's you. However, let me just emphatically say it is vitally important to believe in the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, Jesus can't save us. Without the virgin birth, Jesus can't save us. <laughs> and the reason is because the virgin birth shows us that Jesus is fully God. And fully man. I mean, Jesus came to save the people from their sin, save us from our sin. He comes to bring us salvation, to buy us back from this bondage that we have to sin. But how could He do that if Jesus was just a human being, if He was actually the biological son of Joseph? How could He save us from our sin? In fact, He'd have just as big a problem as you and I have. He'd need someone to save Him. (laughs) So if Jesus was to save us, He had to be different from us in some key essential way. He needed to have the sinless nature of God. He needed to be truly born as God. But at the same time, he still needed to be truly human. If he was going to correct the sin of Adam and Eve, he had to be one of us. If he was to bear the punishment that we were to receive, he had to be one of us. If he was to restore our relationship with God, our image of God to humanity, he had to bear the image as one who is truly human. He had to be connected, you see, to both God and us in order to reconcile us to God. So I hope you can see by now, the virgin birth is essential. It's absolutely essential to our Christian faith. The virgin birth of Jesus just communicates the beginning stage of our salvation of humanity. Humanity that has been created in the image of God, but distorted by the effects of sin. Jesus is the one and only person whose humanity was never tainted by sin all accomplished with the beginning of the virgin birth. The virgin birth, you see, is what makes it possible for the angel. What he said to him in verse 21, he says, She will give him birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because what? He will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the only one, the only one who can rescue us from our sin. Let me say it again. Jesus is the only one, the one who can rescue us from our sin. Last week, Dan said that the, the name Jesus means the Lord saves, and Matthew introduces us to the only one who can save us and provide this restored relationship with God. You see, Jesus claimed to be God. If you haven't read the Gospels, to so know that he claimed to be God. He claimed to forgive people of their sins. He, he, he provided this renewed relationship with God. He promised us eternal life, that we would never die but spend time with him. He said that he would die and he would come back to life. And he did. And for anyone who can make those kinds of claim and pulls them off, I mean, he is the one who says he is God in human flesh. So let me ask you a question. What have you done with Jesus? I mean, have you ever answered this for yourself, this very basic but essential question, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? I mean, you may ignore it for years. You may be ignoring it right now. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to move on to that. But you cannot ignore it forever. Who is Jesus to you? It was C.S. Lewis who wrote in, in a book called Mere Christianity that when it comes to Jesus, every human being will have to make a decision about who he is. Why? Because of his claim to be God. Why? Because of his claim to forgive sins. Why? Because he said what he said about himself. C.S. Lewis says we've got to make a decision based on one of three things. Either Jesus is an out and out liar, or he's a crazy man with a brain that doesn't work right, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. (laughs) Who do you say he is? Who is he to you personally? Because one day, you and I are going to stand before him, and he'll ask us, who do you say I am, Gary? And how you answer that question will determine where you spend eternity. See, being fully God and being fully man is, only, is, is the way that only he can rescue us from our sin. And when it comes to having peace, Jesus brings the ability for us to have peace with God. See Joseph pursued righteousness through obedience to the Torah. But the bad news is that that true and perfect righteousness is not possible for a person to attain on their own. The standard is holiness before a holy God, and it's just simply impossible. It's simply too high. But the good news is that true righteousness is possible only through the cleansing of sin by Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have no ability to achieve righteousness in and of ourselves. But Christians possess the ability to have righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. According to this passage, what is the key problem Jesus came to solve? The key problem is our sin problem. I mean, he came to save us not from poverty, lack of justice in the world, or any other legitimate problem. He came to save us from our sin. And as Christians, we believe our core problem is not hunger, not a lack of happiness, not lousy marriages, but we believe our core problem is that we have sinned before God and that we need someone to rescue us. And I'm thankful he's rescued me. That's what he's saving us from, us and our sin. And as his peace comes into the lives of people, we are changed. Because God is the source of peace. And when we are right with God, we're able to find the peace that only God offers. The story continues with Joseph 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we see this miraculous conception fulfilling a prophecy that the Lord gave Isaiah. And Matthew's words here are designed to connect the Jewish reader. His Jewish reader was how the birth of Jesus relates to the Old Testament promise. The promise that the Jewish people would have a Messiah that would come and save them. And although Isaiah prophesied this event 700 years earlier, it's happening now. That's what Matthew is saying. Now the prophecy has come true. The hope of the ages has come true. The prince of peace, he would say, is here. And so when Jesus Christ was born, Matthew says, this is it. This is the child you've been looking for. What child is this? This is the child. And he's God with us. (laughs) The reason we make such a big deal about this child is because The child born in the manger a long time ago in a place called Bethlehem is God with us. The God who desires to be present with his people. And this is Jesus, God with us. Listen, God's been present with his people from the beginning in different ways as you read and understand his workings with people. But this is something totally new. You see, Jesus is God who brought his presence into our daily lives, and that brings peace. Jesus is God who brought his presence into our lives, and that is peace. Now, on, on this morning, our story ends with Joseph waking up. We don't have any recorded words of what he said, but we learn about Joseph just through his actions. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, And took Mary home and his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. Now, you know what strikes me here? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. It seems like immediately he obeyed all the angel had told him. I mean, he gives, he gets married to her, but not only that, he abstains from sexual relations until after the baby is born. And what a sacrifice he made just to obey what the angel said. He heard the word of God and responded to it. He was willing to do whatever God had called him to do. Is what it looks like, why? Why was he so changed? Why was he willing to sacrifice? I think he was thrilled. I think he was ecstatic about the news the angel brought him. I mean, he had this message from an angel and he realized that Mary had told him the truth. So all of those things he was thinking about her were all wrong. And although his life would never be the same, His hopes and his dreams were coming back into a sense of reality. And my guess is that he went as fast as he could over to Mary's house, and he probably threw himself down on the ground. He says, Mary, Mary, please forgive me. An angel came to me and told me all this stuff, and I believe you. I'm so sorry I didn't believe you. (laughs) Because he realized this was from God. And he knew there would be difficulties, but he was sure since God was in it that God would be with him every step of the way. And there's so much we can learn from Joseph, you know, but the story is really about Jesus. Christmas is about God coming to live among humanity. It's about God, the God of all creation, coming into this sin-cursed world to redeem, to buy back our souls. It's about God himself coming to make it possible to have this daily, personal, intimate relationship with God. It's about God taking upon himself human flesh and paying the penalty on that wooden cross one day so that we could be rescued from this inability to overcome our sin, and be forgiven for our sin. You see, Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is about Jesus bringing us peace because peace is not something we can conjure up on our own. It's not something we can earn or we can work towards making through our own efforts. God is the one who brings us peace. God with us brings us peace. And we know this because he's told us that when he comes into a person's life, one of the many gifts he brings us is the gift of peace. Peace is from God and it comes to us through the presence of Jesus in our lives. See, the peace Jesus gives is not from a chaotic world. The peace Jesus gives us is peace in a chaotic world. And you know why we have peace even though all this stuff's going on? Because Jesus is with us. You know, a few chapters later in the book of Matthew, there's this story where there's a storm and the, his guys are in this boat and Jesus is in the boat sleeping and, and the waves are coming over there, they think they're gonna sink and they're all scared and they're full of anxiousness and the guys wake them up and say, hey Jesus, calm the storm and he calms the storm. <laughs> you know why these guys were okay? They knew who to go to. It's not because there wasn't a storm in their life. It's because Jesus was right there with them, and Jesus has control over the storm. See, God has promised us peace when we ask for it. Personally, let me tell you, my life is filled for a lot of time with anxiousness. Anybody relate to that? I'm an anxious person. I worry a lot. I can worry a lot. And you know, I've tried to do some things to relieve the worry, tried to make some decisions, but at one point in my life, I found this passage of Scripture in Philippians, and I call it my life verse. You guys all have a life verse? I have a life verse, and this is it, because it has meant so much to me in my battle with anxiousness. Look at it with me. Do not be anxious for anything. Oh, but God, I'm anxious right now. Oh, don't tell me don't be anxious. I'm anxious. What am I supposed to do with that? He says, but in everything by prayer. I love it when God tells me what to do. You know I like got So he says, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request. Make your pleas. Make your request as bold and as real as you can to God. And then look what happens. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding. I added the word human, pardon me. Which, which transcends all understanding. What will it do? It guards my heart and it guards my mind in Christ Jesus. Where is it found? In Jesus. I can't guarantee you God's going to cure you of your cancer. Maybe a purpose for that. I can't guarantee you that your kids are all going to grow up, be Christian adults. But, you know, I can tell you that when God is with us, he can guard your heart and give you peace. I can't guarantee you that that... Boy or girl, that young guy you're dating right now is not going to break up with you? He or she may. But I can tell you that God can give you peace in that situation. I can't guarantee you'll you have no money problems in life, but I can tell you that when you do, God's peace will be with you in that situation. See, we have peace because God is with us. And some of you may be dealing with some health crisis right now, and you're dealing with a lot of anxiety. Here's what I know, and here's what I can tell you. <laughs> God is with you. God is with you. <laughs> some of you in your marriage right now, and you're, you're in it, and you're really trying to fight for it, and, and, and you're fighting for this, and it's just not seeming, and you're, you're discouraged I want you to know, don't give up. You're not alone in this. God is with you. God is with you. Some of you are trying to rebuild your life after some kind of relational breakup. It's put you in a place you never thought you'd be. At times you feel hopeless. You have no little or no peace in your life. God is with you. <laughs> some of you approach Christmas knowing that You have a fractured family. I mean, Christmas Day will be less about a joyous family gathering and and more about being alone or missing family members. I want you to know God is with you. God will be with you. See, God gave his son, and he said he's never going to hold out on us. It's not that God wasn't with his people but some, in, the, in earlier times, but something new has happened. And one of the new things is he has proven to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is with us and that he is for us. And if we ever get into a situation where we think God's holding out on us, all we need to do, remember the night in Bethlehem when Jesus came to this earth to be the rescuer of our sins, and to be God with us. (laughs) You know, there are gonna be millions and, and millions of people who will go through all the busyness and the activities of this season, this Christmas time, and some are gonna have wonderful family times together, some will have terrible family times together, some will enjoy gifts, some won't be able to afford gifts, some are gonna go to parties, some won't be invited to parties, and many of these people are gonna miss out On Christmas. (laughs) How sad for the person to think that they're celebrating Christmas. But they miss it all together. Because Jesus did not leave us here. I mean, he didn't come from heaven so that we could build manger scenes and decorate trees. They're they're okay, but that's not what it's about. He didn't empty himself so we could give presents to each other and enjoy lots of food. I hope to enjoy lots of food. Oh no, he came that we might have a restored relationship with God. He came to save us from our sins. He came to give us this true and rich peace that starts with our relationship with him so that we might love others the way he's loved us. See, to not miss Christmas is to take the invitation from Jesus to receive the gift that he has offered and receive the peace that he offers us by knowing him that is beyond understanding but is real and life-changing. I got two quick questions for you to think about before you walk out of here today. Will you trust Jesus, the Son of the living God, to rescue you from your sin? If you've never dealt with that question of who is Jesus, today would be a great day to think about it and come to a conclusion. And Maybe you're sitting right there now and you go, I really want to do this. Maybe you're sitting there going, I'm not quite ready yet. In either case, we want to be here for you as a church. I'm going to stand up here afterwards. You want to come up and talk to me, fine. You want to fill out a green, one of the connection cards, fill it out. I'll call you this week, I promise, if you give me the right phone number or the right email that I can read, okay? (laughs) I'll do that. Because this is an important decision that you do not want to delay in making. Now, for those of you who know Jesus, here's the question for you. Where is the peace that comes through the presence of Jesus needed most in your life. I know where it is for me. I've already been praying about this for my own heart and my own life, my own anxious thoughts, my own things where there's a lack of peace. Can I encourage you? Can I challenge you? Can I ask you? Would you be faithful to take that thoughts, those things where you need Jesus' peace right now and don't give up on him because God is with you? And then would you pray and would you pray and pray and pray and claim these promises that I just gave you out of one passage of Scripture? And see what God does in your life. See what kind of work and what kind of change he wants to do in you and your heart. And how he will be faithful to be God with you. Let's pray. Father, it's been a real joy to be here today and to do my best. Kind of take the relationship that you've built and continue to build in my life and the truth of these scriptures. and and share it with all of us here as a church family. And my prayer, I'm going to say the same thing, God, I said at the beginning. My prayer is that as we consider these things that we've looked at today in the life of Joseph and the angel and Jesus and why he came, God, I pray that you wouldn't let one person leave here without making some kind of decision that will change their life this week, whether it be a first-time decision for you, Lord, or whether it be the ability to recognize you are with them And that they tap into that in a greater, more personal way. Would you change us, God? Would you transform us into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus? And may we share the love that you've given us with people who need to know Jesus this Christmas. We ask these things in your name. Amen. (laughs)